Daniel and Caitlin, can we welcome these guys up as they give an update on how they're doing? <laughs> hey, good morning, guys. Um, it is a joy to be with you again. Uh, we haven't been here for, I think, two months now, so uh, it's always a blessing to be with you. Uh, we're going to uh, just give you a quick update. Uh, the last uh, month or so, we've been seeing a lot of progress as we've been, Kayla and I have been traveling around, and uh, as someone said, we just finished our Virginia tour, Virginia tours, so we went to West Virginia, and we were in Virginia, and uh, we've been meeting, connecting with other churches and individuals who are, um, we're just sharing a burden to see the church grow in, in Croatia, and so we're seeing people respond to that, and uh, partnerships and and support, and so it's been really encouraging um, for us, just financially, for our own personal finances to get there. Getting over 50% now, that mark has been reached, and a little bit beyond that now. And uh, so, we want to just also ask for you guys to continue to pray for us. We're traveling to um, New Hampshire this coming week for a couple of weeks, and then to New York, where we have more uh, connections. And so, just ask that you pray that the doors be opened. Um, and people's hearts to respond to, to what we're doing as a local church and, uh, you know, church planning in Croatia. So please pray for us and just safety for the traveling and people's responses. So Kaylin's going to share a little more. We always brag about you wherever we go. People ask, how are you doing this? Where are you staying when you go back? And we're like, oh, our church got us. They, You guys have been awesome in so many ways. And I just can't name so many names and people who have given to us and supported us and fed us and given us beds and showers and everything so it's been awesome um, but I just wanted to share with you from Mario and Jen just with our communications with them um, they're doing well and they just want to um, say they miss you and they're so thankful for how you've been giving and helping them in that way um, the church there is it's small but it's growing there's a couple people who've been coming to like the Thursday night and Sunday night studies and um, Sunday meetings so it's really encouraging and I wish you could hear it firsthand like we're hearing it firsthand um, but um, they're so grateful. And so keep praying. Um, God's doing some pretty amazing things. Just thank you so much for your support. I love you guys. Mm-hmm. I just have one more thing. I just want to share with you all the scripture verse that's been really, um, <clears throat> that God's been using to really strengthen us during this time. It's Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and he will establish your plans. Um, so I just pray that that also speaks to you wherever you are at. Um, that's what the Lord's been using in our in our lives right now. Uh, so thank you guys. We'll be here for a little bit afterwards. So if you have any more questions, let's try to connect after church. All right, love you all. Thank you, Daniel and Caitlin. Thank you for your love for the Lord. Pray for them as they continue to fundraise. The reason they haven't been able to be here for the last couple months is they're out visiting those churches. Pray that God will enable them to get from 50% to 100% of their support through all their fundraising efforts so that they can get over to Croatia as fast as possible. That's their goal. And uh, just so you know, before the Crockers fly out, we're going to take a Croatia mission fund offering for their benefit, which we hope will propel them forward in their transition as well. So that's upcoming, and uh, we're really looking forward uh, to that. Genesis 4 uh, through 11 is going to be the unit. And um, I want to just uh, first say that uh, p- please be praying for uh, John and Kim and the uh, Reyes kids who are still recovering from sickness. John was supposed to preach Genesis 3 today, but couldn't. And so, Lord willing, we'll have him preach that um, either next week or an upcoming week. And um, But he and I decided to move ahead with Genesis 4 through 11, which was the passage after Genesis 3 the sermon after Genesis 3. So we're really excited about this series, seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And I'll pray for John and Ken. Pray for my family as well. There's sickness in our family as well. But we're we're all doing well. And uh, my my wife Shannon says hi to you all and misses you. And we've been down a number of weeks with sickness with the kids. So Genesis 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. And then, just keep flipping with me because we're going to look at a number of different sections throughout Genesis 4 through 11. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Let's read. Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep. 
and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's skip down to verses 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Genesis 5 Verse 24, this is Seth's line. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, thank God for that. Genesis 7, 4 through 7. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And let's look also at verses 16 and 23. And those that entered, speaking of the ark, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Verse 23. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. 
I love that sound. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is of the earth. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, bitumen for mortar. When they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The title of the message this morning is Adam to Abram and the Fruits of the Fall. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Every word of Scripture is breathed out by you and is useful. Oh, Lord, it is profitable. And we ask that it would be profitable to our souls today. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts as we hear your word. And God, bring to fresh life those that are feeling dry. Lord God, cause the dry places to be refreshed with the living water today. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for us, Jesus. I pray that our love for you would deepen as a result of us studying your word here this morning. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I imagine as we're making our way through the scriptures, it's going to be like this. We're going to be hitting large sections. Uh, normally what we do is we prefer to preach uh, scriptural unit after scriptural unit like we did in our gospel series in Matthew. Um, but in order for us to cover the entire Bible and see Christ in all of scripture, we're probably going to need to do sections like this. So we have Genesis um, 4 through 11 in this section. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to scanning over these things. This will make it even more important uh, for us to study the Word together in private. Part of the reason we want to dig into Genesis together as families and as a church family um, and follow along um, in the Bible reading program is so that by the time, Lord willing, that we get to Sunday morning, we will be saturating in this all week long. And then when we come... Uh, just the, the kindling that we've put into the fire all week in our private devotions, the Holy Spirit corporately can just kind of light us even more on fire for Jesus when we're together and studying his word. <clears throat> and so, as you know, I wasn't able to hit every single verse in every uh, chapter that we just read. 
But uh, if we're able to study that throughout the weeks, um, that'll enable us to, to get even more out of uh, the Sunday sermon. So enjoy the feast. There's going to be three points in the message this morning. The first one is, man sinks worse and worse into sin. Man sinks worse and worse into sin. The second point is, God is patient, grieved, and gracious. And thirdly, God judges and saves. Man sinks worse and worse into sin. God is patient, grieved, and gracious, and God judges and saves. Um, The first point, man sinks worse and worse into sin. Well, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, and we're going to be looking at that when John preaches that passage in Genesis 3, uh, man is radically corrupted in his nature, and his nature now becomes a fallen nature, and and what you see through Genesis 4 through 11 is there's sort of this downward spiral that begins to take place from Genesis 3 on. And you see man in great need of a Savior. Um, but in the midst of it also, there's also just this remnant that, that God rises up. And you see this work of grace begin to work. And you actually see it beginning right away in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And, and interestingly, I just want to draw your attention to four one. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So she actually says, I've gotten a man with the Lord. It's actually the description. She's giving praise to God, worshiping God for, for the son that God gives to her. And there's, there's faith in Eve's heart. So even though she, in the previous chapter, falls into sin, and Adam also along with her, there's this wonderful work here of, of, of Eve calling on the name of the Lord, like right after the fall. And I, I just find that so uh, encouraging. And you're going to see that as well, because we're kind of weaving this tapestry in point one here of man sinking worse and worse into sin on the whole. You're going to see paralleling that. You're going to see what the New Testament describes as righteous Abel, who offers up a blood sacrifice which God accepts, proving that he accepts a substitutionary sacrifice of blood in the place of a sinner for worship. And he doesn't accept the sacrifice of Cain, which is the fruit of his own hands. So he rejects the sacrifice of the fruit of his own labors and has favor upon the sacrifice of blood, the substitutionary sacrifice of blood. It's powerful. You've got to catch these imageries and, and really soak in them in your quiet time. You're going to see flowing off of um, Abel's death, God raising up the offspring of the woman, not through Cain's line, but now through Seth's line, whom God appoints. I love the language there of appointing in Genesis 4, the line of Seth, and he has a son named Enosh. And down that line in Genesis chapter 5, you see Enoch, who it's described powerfully as he walked with God. And this description, and only him and Elijah in the Old Testament, do you see this? Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. That's just an awesome verse. It's showing here that through the work of God, death and the fruit of the fall called death was not even experienced by Enoch and God has also taken the sting of death away for all of us so Enoch walks with God I'm going to get to that a little bit later as well but that theme of walking with God or this this remnant that God raises up down this line from Seth of individuals who walk with God continues on you see it through Noah and we're going to talk about him a little bit more who is described as righteous in the eyes of men, but also blameless before God or wholehearted. And then you're going to see after Noah's line, you're going to see Shem. And you're going to see the Lord continue His faithfulness to continue to fulfill the promise, which John will preach from Genesis 3, that the the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, speaking of Eve, would crush the head of the serpent. 
And this line continues down from Shem all the way to Abraham, which we'll look at next week. And it continues on and on to King David and on and on all the way to King Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who indeed does crush the head of the serpent. So you see this remnant, you see God preserving his people, and that's going to be a real theme throughout Genesis. But but what you see in this first section of 4 through 11 as an accent is really man's decline into sin. Once we chose in the fall to say autonomously, I'm going to decide, God, what is good and evil for myself, and I'm going to take of this fruit, and I'm going to become my own God. There's man rising up in his pride. There's all kinds of infection that comes into man after that and all kinds of wickedness that begins to take place and of note here you see that in genesis chapter 4 that it only took one generation for murder to happen cain kills his brother and you see the the great discord that comes about through through with Adam and Eve and the fall and then Cain, you see the effects of the fall, but you also see the Lord appealing to him and, and he kills his brother anyway. And then th- there's this description later on in Genesis 4. There's actually Lamech in verse 23 of Genesis 4 who actually says to his wives, and this is the first instance you see in Scripture of the sin called polygamy where there is this poem that this man writes, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. So where Cain is like in deliberation about whether or not he's actually struggling with temptation whether to kill his brother, you see a degradation go in this very same chapter to Lamech where he, Lamech is actually exulting in the fact that he's taking revenge. And, and he actually proclaims, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So he is exulting in the degree of his rage. He's exulting in the degree of his anger and his revenge and vindictive spirit. And so this is just a description right in Genesis 4, right after the fall of just how quickly man begins to decline. You see it also in the New Testament in Romans 1, where when we choose to follow and worship created things rather than the creator. There's this downward decline uh, of man and, and falling deeper and deeper into sin and recklessness leading to eternal judgment in hell. And this, this sinking worse and worse into sin is meant to really awaken us, brothers and sisters, to how deeply we all need a Savior. When you see the description of the fall and where it takes man, and then you contrast that with the description. I think this this is so beautiful, that verse 24 in Genesis 4, that Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. It parallels where Jesus, in the Gospels, answers the question from his disciples, of how many times do I need to forgive somebody when they come back to me? And you see this beauty of what the Gospel of grace produces in the heart of a true believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's this beautiful description of someone who has been so transformed that rather than being like Lamech, living for revenge, living to pay back, now a true child of God, this is the way they live. They don't get revenge 77-fold. They forgive 70 times 7. And it's meant to be this connection back to the description of how man had fallen and yet how much God can redeem and restore. And it's beautiful, church. I, I just These connections, I'm excited to see the connections that the Holy Spirit gives to you in your study of the Word on our, our church Facebook page because I'm just, I'm loving this and just getting so excited about digging into this with you. Loving putting the devotionals up every day. But I couldn't wait to get into the pulpit to preach this sermon because we're going to see God just displayed so gloriously against the backdrop of man sinking worse and worse into sin. You see it all the way throughout Genesis 4 and then Genesis 5 and 6. It actually says in Genesis 6, in the passage that we looked at, 
in verse 5. Look at that again, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And this description is so descriptive of our radical corruption due to the fall. Look at how bad it got. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I believe the NIV says only evil all the time. There's just this tainting that takes place, this infection that takes place where man sinks worse and worse. And the light and the beauty of Genesis chapter 2 begins to grow dim and dark, awaiting the light of the world to come and rescue it. And it actually says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So we see man sinking further and further into evil, and it just goes on and on from there to the point where this is actually what provokes the worldwide flood. This is what provokes God's judgment. And, you know, it's it bears just so much for us to ponder this, that after the judgment from the fall, and I want to highlight this because I'm going to talk about Noah upcoming and just talk about just the righteousness that he's commended for in the scriptures. But it's so interesting that right after he comes off of the ark and a little time passes, there's a story about Noah. And after, after some time, Noah gets drunk. And it actually talks about his, his, this is his shame and that he it was exposed. And actually through this incident, a, a curse was introduced to his grandson, Canaan, through the line of his son, Ham. And you see, once again, the infection of sin right off of the ark. And, and so you have this man who's been redeemed, and on the other side of salvation, that the effects of the fall are still there. And it's important to just recognize just how deeply we need a Savior. And it continues on and on through Noah, all the way to the conclusion of this unit with Genesis chapter 11, where it's no longer just a description of a man and his rebellion. It's a city. A city called Babel, which points to a theme all the way throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, of where it talks about in Revelation chapter 17, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Babylon the Great. And this, this city of man that, that gets built up, man and the aspirations of his self-sufficient heart, saying in Genesis 11, let us make a name for who? For ourselves. There you've got this collective, we're gathering together, we're speaking with one tongue, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. You see this pride of man rising up in the city of man. And so there's just this description of man sinking worse and worse into sin and desperately needing a savior. Mankind is marked by rebellion, marked by disobedience after the fall, marked by arrogance, marked by revenge. And it's amazing when you ponder what we did with God's beautiful creation and what we did with the beauty of what he made us to be. Why would God in his mercy Come after us like he did to save us. So the first point is man sinks worse and worse into sin. One scripture that I want to read to you parallels this from the New Testament. One that you know very well. Romans 3, 9-18. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so there's a, there's a description here that includes all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone needs a Savior. And we see that Old Testament and New all the way throughout the Bible. And the story of after the judgment, the, the, the corruption coming up from within the heart of man again. I just was thinking about, 
I remember one time after a big rainstorm in the summer going out and the weeds had grown up really high. And I remember given a, a long day's work of yard work to just pull up these weeds. And if you, I don't know how many people here like, like weeding. It's just an agonizing task and all kinds of products are committed to stamping out weeds. But when you have to pull them up, you're always taught when you're young to pull them up by the roots. I remember pulling up every weed I could find by the roots, only to find that then again in a number of weeks, after another rainstorm, up came a fresh crop of weeds. And how quickly you could be tested to just say, you know what, I'm just letting this go. God takes action and actually comes with compassion again and again and again towards fallen mankind. He saves. And even after he saves, he is still on the receiving end of mankind's fallenness and sin. And yet he never stops pursuing, never stops coming to his people. And brothers and sisters, this ought to give you just such great hope that our patience with people grows thin like that. God is patient toward you and loving toward you. He has endured so much pain from man's sin, but has responded with so much grace. Hasn't he? I love him so much. Point two, God is patient, grieved, and gracious. He is patient and compassionate and protective toward Cain after he kills his, even before he kills his brother Abel, and afterward as well. He is appealing to Cain prior to him stepping out and sinning. And he's telling him, if you do well, won't you be accepted? I mean, you see the heart of God just going after. This is not a God who's up on a throne distant from us, but a God who comes into our lives and appeals to us, and even appeals to us now by the Spirit's power to, to do what is right and to obey him and follow him and but Cain doesn't do it, and he, he sins against God grievously, kills and murders his own brother. And yet, you would think at that point God would just hand him over and be done with him. But th- that doesn't happen. The, the Lord actually protects Cain from vengeance being taken against him. And you see compassion all along the way, even as the Lord himself was greatly pained. In that passage in Genesis 6 that we looked at, where it says the Lord was actually sorry that he made man on the earth. It shows us that that even though God is patient towards sinners, sin hurts God. I, I think this is something we need to really come to terms with when we look at our own lives, but also as we look out on the world. We can sometimes treat God robotic when it comes to sin. And act as if God's job with sin is just to forgive, like as if it doesn't affect him at all. I think it's important for us to remember that, that every time I sin, the Bible talks about in the New Testament, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Lord is, is affected by my sin, and he's pained by it. And you, you see also in Genesis 6 that it got so bad that the heart of man was only evil all the time, or only evil continually, so much so the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Let us be affected by how pained God is by sin, and let us marvel all the more as we do look at that, how patient he is, how kind he is to lead us again and again, brothers and sisters, to repentance. Isn't that something worth marveling over? I am so moved by what, he has done in his disposition toward us with such amazing grace. He's also, he's not just patient as he's grieved, but he's also gracious toward those who have sinned against him. The Old Testament, it's important to know this. When you look at Cain, when you look at Noah, when you look at Babel and the city of rebellion, building a tower and trying to make a name for themselves, what you see is the Lord responding, and he responds with such a heart of compassion. The Old Testament, 
you'll hear a caricature given of the Old Testament that the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. The God in the New Testament is a God of grace. And that's not true. What you have is God remaining the same, Old Testament and New. You have a God of both judgment and grace in the Old Testament and in the New. And he's worthy of our worship. And the, the displays of God's grace in the Old Testament, I'm so excited to dig into those with you as we go through seeing Christ in all of Scripture because we're going to see these wonderful and amazing stories of God's patience and his graciousness in the lives of so many people. And I can't wait to do that as it reminds us of Jesus' patience with us. Let us not forget, like Romans 2, 4 says, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's forbearance with us is the reason that we're all still here. The fact that we're here this morning is evidence of God's patience, even though he's been pained, and the way he never stops coming toward us. In fact, when you get to the Tower of Babel, and you see man rising up in his pride, I mentioned this in the devotional, that there's a funny wordplay there that 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 we were trying to rise up in our self-sufficient pride, and, and God came down. <laughs> there's this description of how high and how awesome Elohim, our almighty God, is, and he has to come down to see what us and our great achievements and technology are building. And so they have this new form of technology called a brick. And we look at this brick and we're like, wow, we're going to do something with this. <laughs> we're going to rise up and make a name for ourselves. And God says, let me, let me go down to see what they're doing. So not so high after all, in other words. And, and in that pride, like an anthill, God could have just crushed the Tower of Babel builders with their pride, but instead he exercises protection over them when he actually disperses the peoples and divides up their languages. It's God's not concerned about man being a rival to him and somehow achieving some success that's going to dethrone him. What you see in Genesis 11 is this fatherly compassion and protection on mankind to divide up the languages and spread the peoples out throughout all the face of the earth in order to protect man from his sin. It's almost like a good parent who safety proofs their home so that their child, when they're looking at a piece of metal for the first time in their hands and says, hey, you know what? I love this piece of technology I've got in my hands let me in my busyness go and stick this metal in an electrical socket. We are going to harm ourselves through what we think is just such a great idea. And yet God as a good heavenly father over all of mankind. The creator is, is disposed toward kindness and graciousness toward rebellious sinners. And, and we see God putting a stop to the Tower of Babel. And yet, all throughout the Bible, what you see is this city, man keeps rising up to build it, builds Babylon all the way into, under the new covenant, when Babylon's finally judged at the very end. And what you see there is in Babylon and in Babel, as you see worldly man rising up in self-sufficient strength and in vain glory. And what you see with God is heavenly man descends in humility and servanthood to die for sinners and truly raise them up. How does God be so gracious like that? What you see with Babel is a worldly city of man rising up in pride. What you see with God is God in Revelation 21 bringing down the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem out of heaven from God coming down in glory. So brothers and sisters, we see God is patient, grieved, and also gracious. Second Peter 3.9 is a great parallel here. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And you also see a description in Luke chapter 15 where the prodigal son, I was thinking of this story this week when I was pondering God's graciousness and marveling and tears were coming to my eyes. Look at this disposition of our great God. Here's the prodigal, verse 20, he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion. Oh, church, let this drink this in. This is his love for you. And he ran and, he, and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You see this heart of compassion and patience and graciousness in God, even in the Old Testament here in this section where man is sinking deeper and deeper into sin. But we also see in point three that God judges and saves from judgment. God judges and saves from judgment. God is a God who judges evil and punishes unrepentant evildoers. This is a point that we really need to take stock of in our lives. As we look at our own lives, as we look out on the world, we must not buy in to the world's concept of God, which says that God is not a God of judgment. He is only a God of love and grace and forgiveness. And he's not going to punish sin. And he's not going to punish sinners. It is so common to hear that over and over and over and over again. To the point where it's rare to go to a funeral, even of an unbeliever who's never even regarded God all their life, and not hear, even sometimes from ministers, this person's in heaven. Because we just, we believe that when we die, we go to heaven by default. We have to look at Genesis 4 through 11 and see God's response, His holy response, His good response against sin and take heart of it and also develop the quality and the characteristic that Scripture commends. Let us not ever lose, even in this culture, a healthy fear of God. That we remember that He is good and that He judges evil and punishes unrepentant evildoers. Church, it's important to note when we look at the flood, God saved eight people out of the entire group of mankind. We struggle with the thought of one individual being judged or punished as if God somehow lacks compassion because he saves 99 and doesn't save the hundredth person. And we struggle. Man, what we fail to recognize is how wicked mankind is in our rebellion against the holy God and how holy God is. We need to be in touch with the holiness of God and also be in touch with the sinfulness of sin so that we don't start to succumb to the spirit of our age which lies to us and Satan fuels the fire of saying God will never bring judgment. You see this in Second Peter 3 as well where the description is given that, you know, where's this promise of his coming? It's not going to happen. All things are going on just as they always have from the beginning. Don't buy into that. God is a God who judges evil and punishes unrepentant evildoers. God will never be gracious at the expense of his justice. Justice is always carried out perfectly. Grace is the fact that God sent His only Son to be punished in the place of you and in the place of me. 
So we need to lift our definition of grace and put it against the backdrop of that all mankind is under sin and worthy of God's eternal judgment. And instead, what God did is He sent His own Son to die on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice so that anybody who repents of their sins and believes in Him might not perish. That word perish is language connected with the flood. They perished in the flood. Perish. God's justice is always carried out. And I have good news for you in this. My daughter Ashlyn and I were talking about this on the way to church. God has fully punished believers' sins in Christ on the cross. Fully. There's nothing hanging over you any longer. That's the good news of this. Justice, perfect justice against your past, present, and future sins was fully sentenced out on Jesus as God punished His own precious Son in our place on the cross. That's how much He loves you. And He's gracious toward us. A remnant chosen by grace. Do you marvel that out of all the millions of people lost on this earth and the billions of people on this planet that you love the Lord Jesus and that you have by grace believed in Him and turned from your sins? Do you see the miracle that it is that you and I aren't being swept away like the rest of mankind, but that God has put us in the ark? He has, as it said about Noah, when Noah was shut in the ark with his family, that word shut in is meant to all of Noah's labors to make sure that that ark didn't leak. He did his best, but when God had him and his family in, the ark door was shut and he was shut in. He was saved by the power of God. And that water was not going to come through and get at them because of God's protection and because of God's salvation. The Lord has also shut you in to the cross of Christ, brothers and sisters. And you are never going to be punished by God because God has already fully punished your sins in Christ on the cross. And that's meant to cause us to be blown away, church. We should never, ever talk about the cross and salvation as if it's some afterthought. We should look at the cross of Christ and the fact that you and I are going to the new heavens and new earth and are not going to perish and go to hell forever as an absolute miracle that God has brought us into the ark and has sealed it shut and has shut us in. Let it cause you to marvel at your salvation. But let us also fear God that He saved eight total out of all of mankind. Let us not be surprised at God's judgment. Let us not be uncomfortable with the thought of God's judgment. Because the fact that God punishes evil and wickedness is meant to actually cause our hearts to worship Him. The wickedness and evil that has been committed against you and that has been committed against mankind. We were watching a documentary this past week and Adolf Hitler was spoken of. And all the millions of people that were killed and murdered at the hands of the ambitions of one man. Brothers and sisters, it is meant to breathe comfort to us when we read, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Nobody will get away with anything. We can entrust vengeance completely into the hands of the Lord and we can love and we can forgive knowing it's all in God's hands and not take vengeance ourselves because we know that God is a God of justice as well as a God of grace. And we can also marvel that in light of all that I've done against God, God, why is it that I'm on the inside of this ark with my brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church safely under the shelter of your wooden cross? Thank you for doing what you have done. Church, I believe God wants us to praise Him for all of who He is. For all of who He is. 
it is a good and praiseworthy worthy thing for evil to be punished and for justice to be served exactly. And justice fell on Christ and not on you and I who have believed. Justice will fall on unbelievers and there will be no escape when it comes. Let us carry an urgency of what we're doing here as a church. Let us carry an urgency about what we're building together by the power of the Holy Spirit as Christ is building His church and we're joining Him in His efforts to build up His church knowing that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let us carry an eternal urgency because the judgment that is going to come on the final day when the sheep are separated from the goats is so much more grave because it's eternal. And yet we have the good news of the gospel to offer to our co-workers, our extended family, our friends. How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? How can they hear unless we proclaim Christ to them? Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, listen. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is talking about the return of Christ. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Freeze frame right there on 42. Babel is trying to put us all to sleep. Become enamored with the world. Take your eyes off of the heavenly city. Commit yourself to building the city of man. No. We reject that. And we say we're going to build the city of God. The kingdom of God. And our hearts are going to be committed to the kingdom of God. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What this is meant to remind us of is they were all going on with business as usual when the rain started falling. And by that time, it was too late. See to it that you're inside the Ark of the Cross unbelievers who are here or those of you who are just not really following the Lord. You're not walking with God like Enoch. And you know it. Listen, when Christ comes, it's all over. There will be no second chances. Your chance is right now. The door of the ark is open wide and God is there standing there. Christ is there reaching out all day long, he holds out his hands to disobedient and obstinate people saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come into this ark and be saved because judgment's coming, not by water this time, but by fire. Come in to the cross. Come underneath of my wings and I will save you. And yet man says, no, not now. I'm not going to give you my heart now. Maybe someday, God. Maybe someday, and the ark got sealed up shut. And who knows but that some of those who were mocking Noah may have been actually banging on the door to try to get in, and no one could get in when the rain started. There is a time, brothers and sisters, when it will be too late. Friend, there is a time when it will be too late to repent. So now is the day of salvation. Scripture says, there's an urgency that all of us need to have when it comes to the things of God. We don't put off until tomorrow what God is calling us to do today. There's an urgency to this. Get into the ark of Christ and the cross. Trust in Him because the waters are coming. But not this time by water. In Second Peter 3, it talks about the next time when Jesus comes, He's going to be coming back and He's going to be bringing judgment by fire. The whole entire old heavens and old earth will be burned up and dissolved in the flames. And anybody who's rejected Christ will be 
suffering forever in hell. Get into the ark while there's still time. Young people, give your heart to God now. and Don't hold anything back. Give him everything of who you are. Be like Noah, of whom it says he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, to the point where he builds a boat in the desert in defiance of the culture mocking him. Don't build for Babel and try to be cool in the eyes of this world. Build for the kingdom of God and the church of God and come into the house of God and build here together, recognizing that this is all there is. This is what's most important, eternally speaking. Turn to Christ and He will receive you. And I want to close with this thought. Enoch walked with God. In closing application, this description of Enoch can also be said of Noah. And then, through Seth's line, you see it over and over again. You see it with David, a man after God's own heart. Make it your ambition to be a man, a woman, a young man, a young woman. That people say of you, he walked with God. She walked with God. Uh, that's a fitting ambition for this awesome God that it would define your life and mine. He walked with God. She walked with God. What this says is God desires a personal relationship with you. This isn't meant to be some routine of going to church every week and, and going back and just this duty and this drudgery that, that, just, that is just characterizing so often many people's Christian lives. This is meant to be an intimacy with Jesus, a, a closeness and a bond, a, a true godliness and a life which God is pleased with is a life where you are so consumed with Jesus Christ you can't wait to get together with him again. Do you have this kind of personal communion, this type of personal relationship with God? Oh, be honest with yourself. And if it's not there, repent that you ever allowed your heart to love something else more. And give yourself over to this Lord and Savior, this Yahweh Elohim, this personal God who is high and almighty. And say, Lord, I'm going to make it the ambition of my life right here, right now, to walk with you. And to call upon your name. Church, let us pray and ask that God would give us grace, that that would mark each and every one of us as we close. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us in this room to walk with you. We want to be a local church that walks with you. We don't want stiff, formal religion that's icy cold and just goes through formalities. And Lord, we want passionate devotion to you. Your people desire that. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would fall upon us as a congregation and that you would refresh the heart of your saints, rekindle, renew, restore, Lord God, restore the joy of our salvation unto us all collectively as a church. Renew a right spirit within all of us and help us like Enoch to walk with God. Help us, Almighty God, not to be distant and and removed from you and to kind of give you just a portion of our life. But Lord, let it be Jesus 24-7, 365, every day of the week, every hour, every moment. I'm yours. Let them know that we walk with God in church. Let them know that we walk with God at work. Let them know, Lord God, that you are our ambition. You are our desire. You are our delight. You are the one that our soul loves and not the things of this world. Help it to be that true worship arises out of our hearts and make that even more pronounced than it already is. Help us to be a people that praise you and worship you as a God of justice, as well as a God of grace. Help us to be truly amazed by grace. 
by pondering the fact that you brought judgment down upon your son for us. Almighty God, increase our passion for you as a people. And as we continue to study Genesis, light the fire of our hearts to even greater intensity so that we would burn for you, Lord. I pray for that, Lord, and we thank you so much for dying for us, rising from the dead for us, reigning for us, and returning for us very soon. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church, for your attentiveness to the Word. Don't you love Him? (laughs) Aren't you so thankful for this awesome God, how great He is? He's so worthy to be worshipped and praised, is He not? You have a great day and a wonderful week. And I would love to remain up here for any of you who would like and desire prayer. I'll be up at the front here, eager to pray with anybody who would desire it. God bless you and have a wonderful week, church. Bye-bye.